Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Luke 6. Let me take you back to the year 1964. And in that year, a couple songs were released that expressed a lot of the sentiment at the time. One of those songs was called A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. And the other was The Times They Are A-Changin' by Bob Dylan, saying things like, for the loser now will be later to win, for the times they are a-changin'. And as I think about these songs, and maybe they're familiar to you, it kind of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul came across in the city of Athens. And you see it in Acts 17, where he comes across um, this altar to the unknown God. And even as he presents the gospel, he talks about, hey, some of your own poets have said this. And there's times where the world expresses uh, a hint of something true. But really, even though they're on to something, they don't have it. They don't have the answer, right? And you think about those songs, they're expressing something that we're going to see today in Scripture is true. A change is going to come, but it's not going to come through the civil rights movement of the 1960s, or it's not going to come through all the causes that the young people of that era got caught up in. The change is going to come, but it's going to come through something else. It's going to come really through Jesus Christ and his kingdom. But it is true that the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a change. But that loser, who defines that loser? Well, someone that would lose their life for the sake of Christ, or they're going to find it. They're going to win. And we see in the words of Jesus today, there is a great reversal that is coming. And as we look at Luke 6, the one thing I want you to remember from this passage is live like a change is going to come. Live like a change is going to come. Let's look at uh, Luke 6 now. And if you remember from yesterday, back in verse 17 of chapter 5, it begins a section highlighting controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we see more of that. That just continues right into uh, the first 11 verses of today's reading. We see another issue of of the Sabbath and the disciples are uh, eating heads of grain. And we've talked about how that, that that's not even really what's prohibited in the law. But Jesus, the point he really makes here is I'm the boss. Uh, He doesn't really dive into, well, that's not really allowed. He basically is just saying, I'm the boss. Verse five, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Hey guys, guess what? I make the rules. And really even going back to what we read yesterday and Jesus healing the paralytic um, and they're saying, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus isn't shy about what he is claiming here. Hey, yeah, I can forgive sins. And you're saying only God can do that? Well, if the shoe fits, then I, I, I must be God. Uh, and here, I, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I get to make 
the rules. And then we see uh, that again, where now he's making the argument, well, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And, And driving home how they have twisted God's intention behind these rules to things that were never intended. Uh, but these passages should be familiar to us, or these concepts should be familiar to us at this point as we have read through the Gospels together. Then we see Jesus, even though we saw him calling some of the first disciples uh, yesterday, we see more the official um appointing of the 12 disciples whom he names apostles. And one interesting fact about Luke's account is verse 12 where he says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus pulls a prayer all nighter. Why? Why did he do that? Well, he does that before he calls his disciples, which on an earthly level is one of the greatest decisions that Jesus made in um, his life. He's choosing someone like Peter, who's going to go on and and be such a key part of the early church in the book of Acts. He's picking Judas, who he knows will betray him. And to prepare for all of that, Jesus is preparing with prayer. And I do think there's a lesson to be learned from that. Obviously, this is talking about Jesus, but with Jesus being our example, this highlights our need for prayer and even for prayer before big decisions. It's time to spend extra time in prayer seeking God. And then he is ministering to the crowds and we get to verse 20. He speaks to his disciples. Now, what we read here, you'll notice this sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but then some would say, well, here it says he's uh, he's on a level place. Well, what, what is that? And people want to say, well, maybe, you know, it's at the top of the mountain and the top of the mountain is level. Well, there's nothing saying that these sermons were given at the exact same time. If you think about itinerant preachers like Jesus was or really any preacher. Growing up as a pastor's kid, you want to know how many times I heard my dad give the same sermon in a different place? You know, when we would go somewhere else and he would preach somewhere else besides our church, often he'd be preaching something that he had preached at our church. And so I'd be hearing him give the same message in a different place. And when he'd give the same message somewhere else, maybe there were slight differences. Uh, And the in the other giving of the sermon. And so we see some differences here um, and possible that these are not even given at the exact same time. But a lot of the concepts are the same. And in the section really of what it calls the Beatitudes here, which is much shorter, it really stresses that this change is coming. And it says in verse 20, blessed are you who are poor. Uh, Now, Some would say, well, clearly he's talking about being poor in spirit because that's what it says in Matthew. So he's not talking about people who are actually poor. He's talking about people who are poor in spirit. Well, Matthew does say poor in spirit, but Luke doesn't say that. And look at what it is 
paired with in verse 21, it gives something that, that's different from Matthew as well. Blessed are you who are hungry now. But notice, it's it's clear, even he uses the word now a couple times, that that's the sense. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. For yours is the kingdom of God. A change is going to come. And again, this change isn't some movement of social justice. This change is ultimately the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that is where you will be rewarded. You will be satisfied. You will laugh in the kingdom. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all speak well of you. It's not about right now. A change is going to come. So live like that change is coming. And just consider uh, many Christians who have suffered persecution or, uh, again, have lived in in very poor uh, circumstances. Think of the comfort that would come from these words. Imagine being an impoverished Christian in, in a culture that is hostile to Christianity and thinking of Jesus's words, blessed are you who are poor. And another implication that's important to note here is, is Jesus is not speaking in generalities. He's not speaking, well, blessed are all the poor, all the hungry, and all who weep. He is talking to his disciples, it says in verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He's talking about his followers. So this isn't just a statement, oh, the poor now will, will later be rich. No, he's talking to the poor who, who believe in him the poor who are following him. That's a key distinction to make. Uh, Well, what does this passage say to more wealthy Christians? Is it just saying, wow, you're a loser because you're wealthy now? Is is that the point? Is is the point of this that every Christian should seek to be poor or every Christian should take a, a vow of poverty? And that's where I don't think it's saying every Christian needs to be poor because even Christian, the Bible is going to give instruction to Christians who are rich uh, on even living like God gives us all things to enjoy. But uh, don't be too quick to just gloss over this. Uh, If you feel like, man, I'm just rich now, I'm full now, I'm laughing now, I can't imagine what what this life, how how my life could be better, um, maybe you should take stock today. Because I do think if you are being faithful as a Christian, there are ways where, well, you may still be rich, but you're not as rich as you could be. Because you are sacrificing financially for the sake of others, for the sake of the church. You're not as full as you could be. And you're not laughing at everything. There's a part of you that is hungering for something more. There's a part of you that is that is weeping. If you are just kind of fat and happy and, and enjoying life and, and thinking everything is great, you should step back and realize it's not about right here and now. We've got work to do for the sake of the kingdom. Let's go about doing that work. So ask yourself today, am I really living like a change is going to come? And then we see more uh, of what that would look like. Loving your enemies, uh, blessing those who curse you. We again see the prohibition to judge not, that you will uh, not be judged. And I love how it talks about the measure that you use will be measured back to you. Hey, be generous 
um, and, and be generous even in your opinions towards others, to not be judgmental towards them. And, and you will receive that measure back to you. That, that's a good thing uh, to think through. And then you, you think, well, man, what if, well, what if I really do live like a change is going to come? And, and what if that means I invite some level at least of, of poverty or, or some level of suffering and discomfort into my life? Will I live to regret that? Well, consider how the chapter ends uh, with the story of the, the house that is built on the rock. And he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And so you see that that idea, the, the one who takes Jesus at his word, that house is going to stand amidst the storm. So take Jesus at his word. And if that means you're poor or hungry or weeping now, guess what? You will not live to regret that. You will not regret sacrifices that are made for the sake of Christ because Jesus is the king and his kingdom is coming. Do you believe that? Are you living like that is going to happen? And sure, it's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. Do you believe that? Are you living like that? Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.